Education of our children doesn't begin and end at academia. There is a spiritual responsibility on each parent and teacher to nurture and train a young soul spiritually. This is called Chinuch. Join Rabbi G every Monday at 2 p.m. as he explores education and Chinuch for parents and teachers. Torah isn't education, it's transformation. We are back, as we do every Monday between 2 to 3, where we discuss education, how to influence the world, how to make the world a better place, how to make ourselves better people, how to just be the people we want to be and want our surroundings, our friends, our siblings, our families, just make the world a better place to be in. A lot happening today on the show. Um, starting the main part of the show, we're going to have a very fascinating discussion regarding trauma. The reason it's different than the normal trauma we talk about here, it's a hard one. In South Africa, we like to say normal trauma. It shouldn't be normal, but it is. Um, is um, hosting somebody very uh, unique, very special. I think she's done uh, amazing work on a very long journey, starting growing up in England, um, experiencing trauma, Going to the United States, uh, winning the Academy Award, which I was explaining now is that is the Oscar that we talk about, and moving from there to Israel, author of a book about a novel about trauma, and I'd say a very strong professional in um, trauma field. I know she is on Ichlatzon uh, Trauma Unit in Israel, so a lot all around around that. We're going to be chatting about that. Her name is Hannah. Studley. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. We'll hear from her in a minute. And anything you want to ask her, you want to join into the conversation, you have an opinion. Um, I'd love if you could share with her, how do you experience trauma in South Africa? Because although she went around the world and she's explored and did, did amazing work, I don't know. I think this is, I do know actually, it is the first time in South Africa. So anything you want her to know about the trauma in South Africa, you want to know about trauma and how to deal with it and how to um, live with it or live next to it or whatever you want to call it, 34519 is an SMS line and telegram 061-895-1019 anywhere in the world, but in South Africa only the SMS is 34519. We're going to go straight to it. Good afternoon, Hannah. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay. So first of all, welcome to South Africa. Thank you. Okay. Um, it's a very interesting approach. I mean, I interview here a lot of doctors, professors, professionals on any different levels. Um, I haven't had many people on the show who took such a switch from Oscars, Academy Award, into trauma therapy, artist writing, how does that happen? That's a great question. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I experienced a lot of trauma in my early 20s. I lived uh, um, in England, and I, I uh, was in Manchester at university. And I was mugged three times. Um, the oh, first wow. time, yeah, it's bad enough the first time, but uh, three actually three times. The first time my skull was fractured, I was at a concert, and so a young man slammed me against a concrete post. Um, the second time I was walking six o'clock in the evening, you know, not bothering anybody. Three men came out of the dark, slammed me to the ground and beat the living daylights out of me. I thought I was going to die. Um, I remember screaming for my life, like feeling like I could feel the breath running out of my lungs. 
and thinking if they have a knife, I'm going to die. You know, if if, um, if I can't catch another breath, I'm going to die. Wow. And uh, they ran off and left me there on a piece of waste ground. Um, I, I, um, this was about 1984, so PTSD was only just going into the DSM. So if, for those that don't know what that means, PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. So you almost had it before it was official. Yeah. <laughs> and, and because, Invention. It, because of that, I, all I got was a cup of tea and go home and, you know, like just get over it. Um, and I couldn't get over it because I got stuck in that loop of, of reliving the thinking and reliving it and reliving it. Every time I go near the front door, I'd be like, last time I left the house, they almost killed you. You know, like two weeks ago, they almost killed you. So after a year of living through this like hell in my head, I realized that Manchester was clearly the problem Mm. and I should move to London. So I moved down to London where I started my creative career in the theater and I was mugged again, a young kid at 16 years old, threw a bicycle at my head as I was riding home from the theater that night. And he actually broke my neck. C2 and C3 were fractured. Um, wow. So I've had a fractured skull, fr- a broken vertebrae, and three herniated discs from when I was slammed to the floor. So that sent me into a spiral way down. And, um, you know, I was terrified to leave the house after that. Because you couldn't have convinced me otherwise, because I had x-rays and police reports to prove the world is a very dangerous place. And it wasn't known at the time so much about the the living nightmare again and again. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm smiling, but although it's not nothing small, but always I hear therapists telling one of the tools people sometimes <clears throat> say is, you know, statistically even it doesn't make sense that a person will be mugged more than once and and then it's almost like it, in a joke we say so once you're robbed once and you kind of have the safety because statistically who does it happen to well mm-hmm. i guess you broke statistics yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so then it was um england was the problem i guess right <laughs> okay yeah uh. so um i i had actually trained as a counselor in in manchester when i was a student um And it took me a long time to understand myself why I didn't ask for help earlier. And I think maybe it's because I was a counselor. I kind of had an idea in my head that I should be able to cope. You know, I'm the one people come to. I shouldn't be complaining. And I just tried to deal with it on my own until the point where I got really sick and really, really messed up in my head. And so finally I kind of caved and asked for help. Like, please. And I'm so grateful now to the ladies who reached out and helped me. And they, they basically said to me, um, are you ready to let go of your story? Which I was really offended about at first because it felt what I heard them say was, you know, it didn't happen or it didn't hurt or get over it. And and what were they saying? They were saying that you've been living in your thoughts for so long that that story has become your identity. And that's not who you really are. Are you ready to let go of that? Okay. Isn't that something that would probably be part of your story for the rest of your life? Um. Yes, so it it is, but at that point in my life, I was the girl who'd been mugged three times, okay. and and that's how I was introduced. That's how I would communicate and re- okay, relate so to people. It doesn't define you. It's just, it should be just part of right. right. So okay. so, but when I was presented with this idea of letting go of my story, I, I was so I was offended because I felt like they were saying I was making it up or I was exaggerating. Um. But as I started seeing that that was, I was actually just reliving my thoughts about it, not the actual event anymore. And those thoughts were what, I was torturing myself with my own thoughts. 
And so once right. I started seeing through that illusion exactly. that that's not who I am and I could have new thoughts, then, then it started to be able, it was okay for me to let go of it. So when you're talking about um, the change that you started going through first, um, it's interesting that you're taking your professional life first as your own experience was kind of to relive the story in a different way or kind of you were in a position that you were kept on renewing, I'd say, the memories and kind of put them aside. Um, at first, yeah, I was kind of taught to ignore my thoughts and to, I mean, my own plan was just to tell myself to shut up, <laughs> which is okay. quite brutal and I don't recommend it to anybody, okay. but um, that's all I knew how to do at the time because um, I had seen a psychiatrist when I was in Manchester, but all she offered me was to talk about it again and again. And okay. I thought, I can do that really well at home. <laughs> you know, I need help of how not to do that. So at first I was telling myself to shut up. And then I was learning, for a long time, I learned to ignore my thoughts. You know, clearly negative thinking was a problem. And I tried positive thinking. And that worked for a while. You know, everything okay. works for a while. <laughs> when you say a while, 20 minutes, 20 days, 20 um, months? No, for, for several years. I for mean, several years? Yeah, because okay. cause I, I, I don't know about... The listeners, but I got caught in the self-help aisle at the bookstore, like a lot of people do, okay. checking this out, Course in Miracles, and di- all different things. So today things. we do Google. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so, okay. right. So back then it was the bookstore. Okay. And I'm trying, you know, like Course in Miracles and the Enneagram, and, and, and then when I, when I did become religious, um, cause I, I'm Balt Shiva, so when I came religious, then it was Musser. I loved Musser. That really got, like, brought me in. Um, Gave some comfort. Yeah. So, okay. so that was kind of like my, an evolution of my journey. Okay, so we uh, we do have to take a short break, but when we come back, we will continue into the journey, into the therapeutical, therapeutical part of it and trying to identify. Um, it's interesting that you're bringing us up parts that anybody could do to themselves and things that they could seek for help. Any thoughts you have, 34519, please send us an SMS or join us through Telegram, 061-895-1019, or any way you'd like. I mean, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Short break, and we will be right back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. 101.9 Hi FM, Hi We are back in the middle of a most fascinating discussion with Hannah Studley. Am I pronouncing you right? Yeah, that's good. Okay. And she is here visiting in South Africa, giving a few talks, seeing a few clients. And she is... Uh, professional in the field of trauma right before the break we were talking about a bit the trauma that she experienced in other areas of the world and we were quite at the point of going and dealing with her own trauma herself and one of the things which i would like to ask you about and obviously just before that anything you want to ask you want to add three four five one nine is the sms line or send us telegram oh six one eight nine five one oh one nine Many times when we deal with trauma, what we do is we kind of try to picture it in a different way in our mind, in black and white, from beginning to end, end to beginning. I'm sure there's, um, quite familiar with that. Um, almost as, as we're imagining it, an illusion. How did that come into play? Or did it? Right. So I think for a long time, I, I knew, say I knew my thoughts were the problem, and so I was trying to blot them out, um, blank them. Um, you know, like there's a lot of therapies out there that talk about reframing things and, and journaling, and and what I found is that just kept the painful memories alive for me. Okay. All, all the techniques and methods that are out there, they just kept me in the content of the thoughts, like looking at you know why me and and why why at that time and why did it happen again, and and so. 
that just perpetuated the, the, the suffering in my head. Okay. And, and what I've come to now is to see that I don't actually need to um, get involved in the, in the content of what actually happened. What I found more helpful and more freeing is seeing not what I'm thinking, but that I'm thinking. And, okay. and being able to watch those thoughts go by. And I don't actually have to react to them. And it's given me so much freedom from not being tied back to something that for me happened 30 years ago now. So you would kind of watch it as an outsider? Mm -hmm. Like you're watching a movie? Yeah, yeah, like an observer. Okay. Yeah, because uh. I find when you're a participant, when you get involved in it, then then I'm getting sucked down the rabbit hole and there is no end to analyzing down the rabbit hole. Um, because, like I said, when I went to the psychiatrist briefly at Manchester Royal Infirmary, all she could do was like get me to talk about it. And I... I didn't want to do that anymore. In fact, right. when I work with clients now, I often don't actually ask them what the specifics of the trauma were. And one lady I had, when I we just talked to her and I explained to her how um, the mind works and how human experience works, she messaged me the next day to say, thank you so much for not asking me to talk about it. She said, because, you know, I've been tortured for 10 years by therapists and psychiatrists, you know, asking me to relive it and relive it. And she said, I slept last night for the first time in years. Wow. Wow. So that's almost what it brought you into Hollywood, in a way, <laughs> right. that this connection. Right, right. Because in Hollywood, I my my job was animatronics, which is part of uh, visual effects. That's what we got the Academy Award for. And and my whole... Oscars for us. Uh, Oscar, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was an Oscar, okay. yeah. Okay. Um, it was a team effort. Um, I was part of, worked with amazing people. And my my whole job in Hollywood was to convince you that something was real that wasn't. Okay. You know, so like, yes, Harry Potter can fly, but the actor Daniel Radcliffe cannot fly, but it looks like he's flying. You I know? hope I'm not bursting anybody's bubble now. But <laughs> right. Okay. right. Okay. So I was actually known for making copies of real animals. So if the story needed an animal that could talk, then we would copy exactly that animal and it would cut from my puppet to the real animal and you won't know the difference. And then people would say to me, there's, there's no puppets in that movie. And I go, well, does your dog talk? <laughs> it's a, it's a puppet. So my job was to convince you that it was real. And my mind does that to me all the time. You know, like I'll, I'll get a, the wrong end of a story or I'll see something and I think, oh, that person doesn't like me or this or that. You know, and your, and your mind starts going off into this like, like commentary about how I think the world is. And actually it's not. Only if I fall into the illusion of listening to that thought, then I might think it's real, and then I start making decisions out of there, or or behaving as a result of that that um, that thinking. And so, with this idea of stepping back a bit, like you said, like being an observer of it, I don't get sucked into the the painful thoughts like I used to. Right. There is another side to it, which I, well, I have to mention, <clears throat> and I have seen it quite uh, quite a few times with some of the clients that I see and some people I speak to, and I've had. Um, clients that have suffered major trauma in their childhood, um, if it was by a family member, if it was by people that were close to them, and because they have the ability of an illusion and they have the ability of kind of seeing it out of the outside, they started to doubt what they actually went to. And it put them in a deeper hole of guilt of um, maybe I'm just imagining imagining it, maybe I didn't really do it, maybe nobody hurt me, maybe it's only my life. So how do you balance the two? Well, I mean, obviously, I had immense compassion for someone who's gone through something such a, a terrible experience. And But what I would also say to them is you can only experience anything right now through your thoughts. So 
um, whether it happened or not, if I'm imagining it's happening right now, then that's going to affect me physiologically. Like my body, my body actually only knows the present. It doesn't know past and future. So if I'm having thoughts about something, whether it happened or not, I'm only going to be experiencing it now. And so the freedom comes from seeing that as a fact because I always wanted to blame the, actually I didn't always blame the people who hurt me. I had such resentment against the police officers who dismissed me. I had a lot of resentment against, you know, friends and family who didn't react the way I wanted them to. And I think a lot of people who go through that kind of trauma, um, it's often the, um, the reactions of people afterwards. Like Which is a very, very difficult point. And, and I'm going to introduce you to South Africa now. Mm-hmm. Welcome to South Africa. Okay. <laughs> I can't even tell you how many times I heard of people that had house invasions mm-hmm. and went through terrible trauma. And when they told their friends, the first reaction was, well, did you have an electric fence? Well, right. did you have bars? Yeah. Almost as blaming the person. Yeah. And A, Why? Although I can understand that it, it kind of distances us from the problem, but in a way, does, doesn't that make the trauma much worse? Interesting. You just reminded me. I had a terrible car accident in Los Angeles, and and so many people asked me, like, get the insurance, get the insurance. You can like get so much money out of these people. And one person asked me if I was okay, which is exactly right. So I, I totally get your question. Um, but what I would say is. The, the the experience is still um, it's still happening in my mind. Right, and but then you can't you become resentful because you can't get comfort from the people around you. Right. So or even the police you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, you could sit here in the police, and the police will come in after the invasion. And I had it myself when we had a house invasion, right. and and police came in and said, "Ish, oi, <laughs> oi," in South African. Right. <laughs> Right. And that's pretty much it. Right, right. So most of my life, I believed that the way I felt was because of how people were treating me. You know, like how the guys had, had beaten me, how the police, you know, were, were you know, um, dismissed me, how my friends kind of, after a week or so, moved on to the next drama and, le- and I was left with my thoughts and memories. Um, and so the resentment and the anger was coming from thinking that I'm a, a victim not only of the original event but of the way people are now treating me and i've now learned that um actually nobody can get inside my head um nobody can actually make me feel anything like when we say like oh she makes me so angry <laughs> nobody can actually make me angry or actually make me sad or happy the the experience is coming from within it's my reaction to how they they are and, and like when I did my training with Hatzala one of the first things they said to us is when someone's in a situation like that the first thing we were taught to say is like you're having a normal reaction to an abnormal situation, situation right. right so so if someone's shaking if someone's uh, you know isolating if, if some whatever the reaction they're having that is normal for them and so like I said about compassion um, if people are around people who've, you know, experienced something so terrible, it's like sometimes you just need to listen, you know, like, like, so coming in with the advice about the fence and, and the police and, you know, that right. stuff, it, it often isn't helpful. I, I just needed someone to listen to me. Okay. Where do you put in the, the boundary between isolating yourself after trauma mm-hmm. and letting go? Which means a lot of times I've, I've had people tell me, I don't drive at night. 
I once had a car accident at night. I don't drive outside the city. I had an accident there. Um, I don't walk in the street because I was mugged here. I'll walk in the other one. So I understand that you don't want to stay in the same place that you went through trauma. However, if you start isolating your life bits and pieces, then eventually you'll be left with nothing. Right. Yeah, my, my world shrank. It got very, very small. Like I, I knew that if I left my house, I was going to get killed because I had the evidence, you know, I had the police reports and the x-rays to prove right. it. You right. couldn't have convinced me otherwise. I, I knew a bus was going to run me over, even though buses didn't go down our street. Right. But it never occurred to you that you have the evidence that you'll survive an attack. No. Because you have survived every time. Right. <laughs> That's the opposite evidence. I'm, yeah. It's so good you point that out because I had fallen into the trap of thinking that it's unsafe. And yet here I am sitting, walking around, and I've had a broken neck and, and all, the, all these, you know, like terrible things happened in phys- physiologically. But I've, I'm doing great. In fact, right. you know, that's why the, the whole Hollywood thing was amazing because I was able to see past my thoughts and see that there is a bigger world out there and safer. And, and, and yes, it took a, you know, the sound of footsteps behind me for a long time. Um, I don't like the word triggered because that's kind of like, very victim language. It's blaming that I'm feeling so, a certain way because of something on the outside. Okay. But it it was a, you know it it made me hyper vigilant and you know very you know like tense for a long time afterwards. But now if I hear footsteps behind me, um, I I have the wisdom to um, look or not look. Now I live in Jerusalem, so it might be a good idea if I look over my shoulder exactly. sometimes, <laughs> right? So, but I um, as you were talking, you just reminded me I was um, in Jerusalem. Maybe a year ago, and a friend of mine were we were walking home from a shear, and and she casually said to me because she knows my story, and she said, "Should you're not afraid, are you?" I said, "What of?" And it was about eleven o'clock at night. We're walking through central Jerusalem. That's kind of afternoon in Jerusalem, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. You know, so there are people around. Yeah, yeah. Um, two year olds, three year olds, still up. And anyway, so she said to me, "You're, you're not afraid, are you?" And I said, "No, what?" And like, and so she, she kind of commented how, um, you know, I can't remember what exactly she said, but I, I remember thinking like, yeah, how, what a blessing it is that, um, my world began to get bigger again once I started seeing that the only suffering that was happening was inside my head and, and I'm only limiting myself and my world by my thinking. And really now the world is my oyster, as they say, you know, I've, I'm traveling all over, um, you know, helping people working, you know, doing all kinds of things that um, I'm only limited by my thoughts about it. Mm, and and right. obviously, you know, I, I, I take precautions and I want to be safe, like, you know, is, is um, a, a good idea. But it's... But you're not living in the past and you're no. not living in the trauma. So I'm, I'm going to challenge you because we didn't... We, I, 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 I have a passion. Sometimes I like to, like, Put the people that I'm playing to on the spot. Okay. But because you're a, you're a responder to crises in Natsala, so I don't think it's going to be a difficult situation. Let's try to create, and we both know it's without any preparation, a do and don't do list. When your friend comes to you and says, you'll never believe what happened, or your friend doesn't come and tell you, you just heard that your friend went through something, a terrible trauma. What do you say what you don't say? Offhand. Ma, you mean you mean as the friend that they're coming to? Your first approach, and even right after the situation. Right. Okay, you come to work in the morning and somebody tells you, "Oh, your assistant just had a robbery last night." Right. How do you respond to that? I would respond with as much compassion as I can possibly. You know, like my heart goes out, um, because when you're in that acute, um, you know, when you're in, in the immediate aftermath of something like that, there isn't really anything you can say to to make it better. It's, um, I'd say, 
just being there for somebody, just like asking, do you need anything? Like when I said, you know, that car accident I had and all these people were like, you know, on about the insurance money and only one person asked me if I was okay. You know, that, that had a big effect on me. So asking someone if they need anything, you know, can I do anything for you? And, but also mm-hmm. not being overpowering because I also needed my space. Okay. I, d- I didn't want to be, um, I don't like being smothered. <laughs> you know, I know yeah. some, some people do. Um, but I'd say have some sensitivity because um, trauma is different for different people. Some people are going to be traumatized by something you and I might not even notice. And other people are going to be devastated. You know, That's an amazing point because you can't come and start judging is, is the trauma justified or not. And sometimes we make that mistake. Right. I think that's really important because um, there's a lot of research out there now that shows that it's not an automatic there isn't a correlation. Like if, if you the trauma is this big, so therefore you suffer that much. And if it's this big, then you'll suffer for that long. The, it really depends on the person's state of mind. Okay. And so and I've had plenty of experiences where I've been in situations where like two people can be in the same situation and have a completely different response to it. And so I think to answer your question, it's about being sensitive to how that particular person is responding to that particular situation. Because you may have got over it quicker and it might seem to you that they're not getting over it. But if their thinking is like their state of mind is in a low place, then any advice you give them or suggestions or even love and kindness might not register with them depending on their state of mind. So when someone's in a um, a higher state of mind, they're probably not going to be as affected or or suffering so long. Okay. So while you were talking, I was writing the, the to-do list that mm-hmm. you were saying. Mm-hmm. Tell me if that's correct. Um, number one, you just walk over there and you say, um, are you okay? Number two, let them know I'm here if you need anything. Mm-hmm. Number three, get them active. Like maybe ask for something. Try to get into kind of normal talk. And next thing you said is to just accept with them that it's it's really a hard situation right. and i'm here and right. is there anything else i can do yeah yeah that would be your list um i i wouldn't limit it to that because i think when when you're when you're trusting your intuition when you're sitting with somebody and you're really listening to what ra- listening to what they need rather than what you think they need I think right that's, so that's what i said that's, so yeah that's really important because be there for them yeah because some people are going to snap out of it pretty quickly and right. some people it's going to take longer and there's no right or wrong about that but also people who are quiet doesn't necessarily mean that they've got over it completely <laughs> and that's normal okay what's the what are the things that you shouldn't do shouldn't do um tell them how they should feel okay you know you oh you should be over it by now or you should do this you should do that um because like i said you know and even if you've gone through something similar it depends on your state of mind, um, how you would, that each person individually is going Everybody to experiences different things. Exactly. And we got to realize that very clearly. Yeah. Okay. Um, so basically, you don't minimize it. Mm-hmm. Number one. And number two, don't tell them what they're feeling and how they're feeling. Right, right. And just be mm-hmm. a, and see how you mm-hmm. can help. Yeah. Is there any expiring date to deal with trauma? No. Never? No. But like I said, I think, um, you know, traditional therapy has this like model of um that if you had experienced you know like a car accident you'd be traumatized for this long if you had a home invasion it'd be for this long if it god forbid it was a rape it would be this long and i don't think you can 
you can like categorize it like that. Mm. And so um, often people, um, there's a protocol of say like 120 hours of, of uh, therapy for a certain kind of situation, whereas some people might need that, some people won't. Right. And so what I want to ask is from the other side. Sometimes people tell me, yes, I'm still suffering from trauma, but it's been 20 years. It's too late. And is there an expanded date on dealing with trauma? No. No. It's never too late to address it. Definitely not. No. Okay. Okay. We do have to take another break. When we come back, I do want to hear about triggers and what could bring maybe the trauma back and also about your book okay and, which is amazing and a bit about your talks and we don't have that much long time anything you want to share with us or any questions you have for Hana, who is a, um, an artist i guess who went from um being a, a trauma victim to a trauma professional Three four five one nine is the SMS line. Oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine is the Telegram number. Short break. We'll be right back. IFM one hundred and one point nine megahertz of life. We are back in a very interesting discussion, um, having with Hannah Studley about uh, her journey from being a trauma victim to a trauma therapist um, with a little stop on the way in Hollywood and Oscars and things like that. Uh, just before we go into um, other sides of the trauma, the South African Jewish Board of Deputies invites you to attend its national conference taking place on Sunday, 10th of November, at Houting Hotel from 4 p.m. A distinguished panel consisting of Dr. Raoul Kohza, Roby Brozan, Professor Adam Habib, Marie Kluck, and Judge, Judge David Unterhalter will foc- focus on the theme, South Africa Upcoming Reality. Awards will be Awards will be presented to those who have contributed to our community with a special tribute of Johnny Clegg. RSVP is essential via the SAJBD website, which is www.sajbd.org slash events. Okay. So, um, before the break, or during the break, actually, we were chatting a bit, and we spoke about the physical aspect of um, trauma. Um, can it really be that if somebody uh, experiences trauma, they can actually feel physical pain? Yes. <clears throat> um, the I'm sure your listeners have heard of fight or flight response. Yes. So when when that actually happens, which is an amazing thing, the, the amazing way we're made, is that all these chemicals, um, uh, cortisol, ad- adrenaline, glucose are shot into the body, and they're the there's they're going to the body for about 20 minutes i mean 20 minutes to an hour depending on the specific situation and then it takes about that's when the freeze flight or fright yeah, comes in right okay. so when Kathy you always says that we have to explain everything on the radio okay so, right, okay. right, right. So, yes there's also so freeze is, a, is yeah. another um, okay. another part of it so that goes into the body for about 20 minutes maybe to an hour um so that gives you enough time to call the ambulance it gives you enough time to you know you hear these amazing stories of a mother pulling a a car off a toddler you know it gives right. us incredible strength and it's the incredible way we are made to do that and within about 72 hours the body has processed you know dissolved all those chemicals and we're ready god forbid for another emergency um but if you think about it if you're sitting for more than 20 minutes in stress 
could be two hours, four hours, 16 hours a day, day after day. That's going to start messing with your, your nervous system, with your, right. with your endocrine system and your adrenals get fatigued. And, and so that's why a lot of people end up in chronic pain and experiencing other physiological problems. I know I did, um, you know, I got quite a lot of medical problems as a result of the stress I was living with on a daily basis. And some people it comes out in eczema. Um, for some people, it's migraines. Some people, it's um, uh, back pain and, and stomach problems, fertility problems. Um, and so what I started seeing was um, I, w- I actually myself suffered from chronic pain for 25 years. Yeah. And I was a regular at the chiropractor's office. And they would always take a, a medical history. And when I told them about my injuries, you know, the neck and the back and everything, they'd say, well, look at this. It's, you know, like, of course you're having lower back pain, you know, like, and there were times when I felt like my pelvis had been hit with a baseball bat. I mean, I actually was paralyzed several times, um, where I, my, my, I just lost power in my legs. The, the, the muscle spasms were so painful. Um, and I would like um, walk around with a hot water bottle on my back, and you know the whole. Um, right. I'm sure your listeners are familiar with that scenario, and um, and so it made sense to me because I'd had these injuries, and then I started researching the, this these ideas and started. I read. I remember reading that the femur bone, which is the largest bone in your body, um, in your thigh, um, if that breaks, which is quite difficult to break it, if it breaks, it will heal within four to six weeks. So, oh wow! So if a femur bone heals within four to six weeks how come i was experiencing pain from injuries from 30 years ago so as light bulb went on in my head something else was obviously causing that pain because those injuries have healed you know like like we we heal all all the time right so we're gonna have to hear the highlight and the answer to that right after a very 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 short ad break and then we will continue 101.9 short break we'll be right back Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. What a 1.9 Hi FM, we are back to the last part and final of the show. So right before the break, in the middle of a fascinating discussion with Hannah Studley, who went from trauma victim to trauma therapist, um, you mentioned that you were going through 25 years of chronic pains and you realized that that doesn't seem to work that way in the physical world. Right. Because even a bone, as you said, will Will stop hurting. Yeah. Yeah. So if all my injuries had actually healed, why was I, was, why was I still experiencing such chronic pain years, decades afterwards? And I came across um, a new understanding of the mind. Um, some people may have heard of innate health or, um, three, the three principles. And I, I started learning this, uh, these ideas. And after I'd actually gone to London to do a course, I noticed that my pain had gone away. And I thought, that's fascinating. You know, here at my, th- and what, what I see now is my thinking had started to calm down. As my thinking calmed down, my nervous system calmed down, and the pain went away. Wow. And, and allergies too. Like, so there's, like, I had so many other physiological problems, which I thought was just, you know, just me, just the way life is. You know, um, I grew up with terrible allergies and hay fever and asthma, and they're, they're going away. Like your body is designed to heal. That's a, like it's t- such an incredible yeah, it's thing. Amazing. So when you work and calm the nervous system through the trauma, through the thoughts, then actually mm-hmm. a lot of physical pains will go away. Yes. As yes. you said, it's actually an interesting thing. Last time that we had here a, a doctor speaking about trauma, um, she quoted a study. I forgot by who that was a, that checked how animals in nature. I'm sure you've heard about it behave after trauma, and they've checked and 
easy to see throughout Africa. When an animal was attacked, let's say a, mm-hmm. uh, a sheep by a lion or something, mm-hmm. after they survive the attack, before they go back to normal, they spend time just shaking out their energy physically, making loud voices, kind physically calming and releasing the, the energy. Right. So because we're not as mobile as we used to be, like walking and exercising, and we're often sitting in offices or, you know, on our phones, we, we're not... Um, or in the radio talking about right. exercising, yeah. <laughs> right. So we, we're not as active as we used to be. So all these stress chemicals are sitting in our bodies and, and having effects on, on our physical... So diabetes, car- cardiovascular things, fertility problems are coming from, you know, um, this, the nervous system that is being dysregulated by all this stress, definitely. Wow. Okay, this sh- the show has come to an end, but I'm not going to let you go without one minute about your book. Okay. And then we'll talk for one minute about what's happening tonight. So... Tell me about your book. Yeah, it's called The Myth of Low Self-Esteem. It's a novel. It's about a young lady called Deborah, and it's about her journey. And now that you've gotten to know me a little bit, you'll, you'll recognize I'd say about 80% of the story is actually true. Um, so it's going through the trauma and then Hollywood and then actually her first visit to Israel. So um, that's um, available through so Am- it's Amazon. It's based on your story. Yeah, it's, it's not, not an okay. autobiography, but yes, it's based yeah, on okay. my story. And, yeah, so that's available on Amazon. Uh, on Amazon, again, the myth of the low self-esteem. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you will be giving a talk tonight at Sunny Road. Yes. Sure. Yes. Okay. And that's about chronic pain, trauma, and anxiety. Chronic pain, tra- con- chronic pain, trauma, anxiety. Tonight, if anybody wants to meet you in person as well, tonight, Sunny Road, Shul. What time? 7.30. 7.30. Okay. Thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Such it's a pleasure. Been fascinating. I've learned a lot, and I'm sure you'll be able to help a lot of people. And thank God, be successful in here and overseas with the amazing work. Thank you. 101.9, another great show has come to an end, and we will, please God, be in touch again next Monday, 2 to 3, discuss how to make the world and ourselves a better place.